life, the universe, and everything in between. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Here comes another edition of Great Lyrics. Well, we're up to part five now. We're on to the second edition of Spoken Word. I like this maybe even more than regular sung lyrics because spoken word stuff... Uh, Grant Smithies is with us. Spoken word to me kind of compels you to listen in a different way than a sung lyric can sometimes just hide as another musical instrument. Yep, I'd go along with that, sure. Yep, usually they have something important to say. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope so. Yeah. Because uh, there's some shite spoken word as well, of course. Yeah, there is. <laughs> no shortage of that. One of my favourites is an elaborately told tale of running into some sort of flaky hippie by this brilliant Australian dude called Tim Minchin. Yeah, I know this well as well. It's it's worth, um, you know, we can only find a play a snippet of it because it's so long. I'd say, but it's worth going and no, I, the, at the this whole this one I think we have to s- tell the whole story. Start from the beginning, go to the end. Yeah, yeah, you're talking. Yeah, it's well, worth going and investigating also on YouTube where someone's animated it too. Yeah, it's a beautifully um, animated thing. We've got it up on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. It was in our favourite videos of all time for a while. <laughs> it's so fantastically strapped together, though, isn't it? You know, it it's is. basically a dinner party where an articulate atheist. Australian comedian geezer clashes with a new ager who is flaky on multiple levels but <laughs> he he tries being mildly personable at the beginning and gets more and more frustrated and gives up <laughs> yeah more or less uh, and then just starts you know paying her out and getting abusive yeah this one I think we should hear in full it's a masterpiece the best thing I think Tim Minchin's done if you don't like the F word don't complain there's We're... only a few not gratuitous in any way not at all and it would be far more criminal to bleep it I think because yep. it's a work of art in a North London top floor flat or white walls, white carpet, white cat, rice paper partitions, modern art and ambition. The host's a physician, bright bloke, has his own practice, his girlfriend's an actress, an old mate of ours from home, and they're always great fun, so to dinner we've come. The fifth guest is an unknown. The hosts have just thrown us together for a favour because this girl's just arrived from Australia and she's moved to North London and she's the sister of someone or has some connection. As we make introductions, I'm struck by her beauty. She's irrefutably fair with dark eyes and dark hair. But as she sits, I admit I'm a little bit wary because I notice the tip of the wing of a fairy tattooed on that popular area just above the derriere. And when she says, I'm Sagittarian... I confess the pigeonhole starts to form and is immediately filled with pigeon when she says her name is Storm. Conversation is initially bright and light-hearted, but it's not long before Storm gets started. You can't know anything. Knowledge is merely opinion. She opines over her Cabernet Sauvignon vis-a-vis some unhippily empirical comment made by me. Not a good start, I think. We're only on pre-dinner drinks, and across the room my wife widens her eyes, silently begs me, be nice. A matrimonial warning not worth ignoring, so I resist the urge to ask Storm whether knowledge is so loose weave of a morning when deciding whether to leave her apartment by the front door or the window on her second floor. 
The food is delicious and storm whilst avoiding all meat happily sits and eats as the good doctor, slightly pissedly, holds court on some anachronistic aspect of medical history when storm suddenly insists. But the human body is a mystery. Science just falls in a hole when it tries to explain the nature of the soul. My hostess throws me a glance. She, like my wife, knows there's a chance I'll be off on one of my rare but fun rants, but I shan't. My lips are sealed. I just want to enjoy the meal, and although Storm is starting to get my goat, I have no intention of rocking the boat. Although it's becoming a bit of a wrestle, because like her meteorological namesake, Storm has no such concerns for our vessel. Pharmaceutical companies are the enemy. They promote drug dependency at the cost of the natural remedies that are all our bodies need. They are immoral and driven by greed. Why take drugs when herbs can solve it? Why use chemicals when homeopathic solvents can resolve it? I think it's time we all return to live with natural medical alternatives. And try as I like, a small crack appears in my diplomacy dike. By definition, I begin. Alternative medicine, I continue, has either not been proved to work or been proved not to work. Do you know what they call alternative medicine that's been proved to work? Medicine. So you don't believe in any natural remedies? On the contrary, Storm, actually, before I came to tea, I took a remedy derived from the bark of a willow tree, a painkiller that's virtually side-effect-free. It's got a weird name. Darling, what was it again? Masprin? Uh, Basprin? Oh, yes, aspirin, which I paid about a buck for down at the local drugstore. The debate briefly abates as my hosts collect plates, but when they return with desserts, Storm pertly asserts... Shakespeare said it first... There are more things in heaven and earth than exist in your philosophy. Science is just how we're trained to look at reality. It doesn't explain love or spirituality. How does science explain psychics, auras, the afterlife, the power of prayer? I'm becoming aware that I'm staring. I'm like a rabbit suddenly trapped in the blinding headlights of vacuous crap. Maybe it's the hamlet she just misquaffed or the fifth glass of wine I just quaffed but my diplomacy dike groans and the asshole held back by its stones can be held back no more. Look, Storm, sorry, I don't mean to bore you but there's no such thing as an aura. Reading auras is like reading minds or tea leaves or star signs or meridian lines. These people aren't plying a skill. They're either lying or mentally ill. Same goes for people who claim they can hear God's demands or spiritual healers who think they've got magic hands. By the way, why do we think it's okay for people to pretend they can talk to the dead? Isn't that totally fucked in the head, lying to some crying woman whose child has died and telling her you're in touch with the other side? I think that's fundamentally sick. Do we need to clarify here that there's no such thing as a psychic? What are we f***ing to? Do we actually think that Horton heard a who? Do we still believe that Santa brings us gifts, that Michael Jackson didn't have facelifts? Are we still so stunned by circus tricks that we think the dead would want to talk to pricks like John Edward? Storm, to her credit, despite my derision, keeps firing off cliches with startling precision, like a sniper using bollocks for ammunition. You're so sure of your position, but you're just closed-minded. I think you'll find that your faith in science and tests is just as blind as the faith of any fundamentalist. Wow, that's a good point. Let me think for a bit. Oh, wait, my mistake. That's absolute bullshit. 
Science adjusts its views based on what's observed. Faith is the denial of observation so that belief can be preserved. If you show me that, say, homeopathy works, then I will change my mind. I will spin on a f***ing dime. I'll be as embarrassed as hell, yet I will run through the streets yelling, It's a miracle! Take physics and bin it! has memory, and whilst its memory of a long-lost drop of onion juice seems infinite, it somehow forgets all the poo it's had in it. You show me that it works, and how it works, and when I've recovered from the shock, I will take a compass and can't fancy that on the side of my cock. Everyone's just staring now, but I'm pretty pissed, and I've dug this far down, so I figure in for a penny, in for a pound. Life is full of mysteries, yeah, but there are answers out there, and they won't be found by people sitting around looking serious and saying, isn't life mysterious? Let's sit here and hope. Let's call up the f***ing Pope. Let's go watch Oprah interview Deepak Chopra. If you want to watch telly, you should watch Scooby-Doo. That show was so cool, because every time there was a church with a ghoul, or a ghost in a school they looked beneath the mask and what was inside the f***ing janitor or the doo-doo ran the water slide because throughout history every mystery ever solved has turned out to be not magic does the idea that there might be knowledge frighten you does the idea that one afternoon on wikipedia might enlighten you frighten you notion that there might not be a supernatural so blow your hippie noodle that you'd rather just stand in the fog of your inability to google isn't this enough just this world just this beautiful complex wonderfully unfathomable natural world how does it so fail to hold our attention that we have to diminish it with the invention of cheap, man-made myths and monsters? If you're so into your Shakespeare, lend me your ear. To gild refined gold, to paint the lily, to throw perfume on the violet is just fucking silly. Or something like that. Or what about Satchmo? I'll see trees of green, red roses too. And fine if you wish to glorify Krishna and Vishnu in a post-colonial, condescending, bottled up and labelled kind of way, then whatever, that's okay. But here's what gives me a hard-on. I am a tiny, insignificant, ignorant bit of carbon. I have one life, and it is short and unimportant... But thanks to recent scientific advances, I get to live twice as long as my great-great-great-great-uncles and aunts. Twice as long to live this life of mine. Twice as long to love this wife of mine. Twice as many years of friends and wine, of sharing curries and getting shitty at good-looking hippies with fairies on their spines and butterflies on their titties. And if, perchance, I have offended, think but this and all is mended, we'd as well be ten minutes back in time for all the chance you'll change your mind. There it is in all its glory. Tim Minchin running into a woman called Storm. 
Go and have a look at the gorgeous animation. It's up on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage, along with a bunch of other stuff that we're playing tonight, video versions. We're celebrating the spoken word. This is Spoken Word Special Part 2. This is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Okay, we're looking at the spoken word in rock music this week. Last week, we delved into a whole bunch, but not a single New Zealand piece. I thought we'd dedicate this particular stanza to some outstanding pieces of spoken word from New Zealand bands. Good plan. I want to start with The Front Lawn, who were half theatre, half music. They were brilliant, I thought. Yep. Don yeah, McGlashan yeah. and Harry Sinclair. Yeah, I saw them a few times play live and marvellous. Yeah, like you say, they finding some interesting middle ground between the two. Here it is. It's just a simple running into someone you haven't seen in a long time on the street and you say, how are you doing? Oh, how are you doing? I haven't seen you for... Yeah, it's quite a while, isn't it? <laughs> what are you up to these days? Oh, keeping busy. How about you? How are you? It's Kevin, isn't it? What you call me? Kevin. Kevin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John. Mike. Mike! Mike, <laughs> yeah! Oh, how, how are you doing? doing? I haven't seen you for... Oh, how, how are you, you doing? doing? I haven't seen you for... Oh, how are you doing? I haven't seen you for... Yeah, that's quite a while, isn't it? Yeah, so what are you up to these days? Oh, keeping busy. How about you? Oh, you know. <laughs> so, uh, where are you living anyway? Well, you'd hardly call it living. I've lost my job. I'm having quite a few emotional problems. Well, Hamilton, Wellington, Palmerston North, Greyland. Oh, it's nice out there, eh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, how you doing? I haven't seen you for... Oh, how you doing? I haven't seen you for... You're married with a family and everything right now, eh? Oh, no, no way. Not me. <laughs> Still. Only a matter of time, eh? <laughs> nah. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> nah. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> nah. Yeah. Eh? How you doing? Beautifully constructed thing. And nicely observed, uh, you know, the fact that you actually are asking but often do not want to know. When the guy lapses into going, oh, well, you know. My life's rubbish. Life's pretty shite, actually. Yeah. The guy just swerves back into the light conversation. It's just a nicely observed sort of piece. <laughs> yep. Okay, this is one of my favourite things 
from one of my favourite albums. I hope you enjoy it too, folks. The character is Bill Doreen, his band The Builders. It's from an album called Split Seconds. This is a song called Envoy. He's employed a friend who has, uh, sounds to me like a Highland uh, Scottish accent, and all the song is is this lovely little ditty, and she lists all the people that they want to thank. And it's not just, you know, we'd like to thank uh, so-and-so who worked on this record, anything like that. It's, it's, a, it's an intriguing list of, hey, we, we appreciate the people who take the coats at the coat check because they work there and sometimes they don't really want to be there. We'd like to thank the people who put things in boxes. We'd like to thank the people who build things. It's beautiful. We want to thank the people who do the gardens. We want to thank the people who repair the buildings. We want to thank the people who keep all the books in order. Builders from Split Seconds, a gorgeous little thing of thanks called Envoy. 
You've pointed me to Sam Hunt and David Kilgour. They got together, Grant. They have. They've done a few bits. Um, six years ago, they made an album called Falling Debris, where the lyrics were written by Sam, but David Kilgour wrote music to the lyrics and sung the lyrics himself, and Sam didn't actually appear on there vocally. This time round, on their new album called The Ninth, it's a collaboration where Sam's reading his own work and his band, The Heavy Eights, are playing the, in the background. It's called The Ninth because that's how they refer to Sam. They've got The Heavy Eight, and then there's him. Nice. There's a few of Sam Hunt's best-known poems on there, like Main Trunk, A Country Road Song, and Rainbows and a Promise of Snow and so on. But there's also, they do treatments together of James K. Baxter's Jerusalem Blues and Gunner's Lament. I've always really liked Rainbows and a Promise of Snow, which is one poet writing about another, really. It's Sam Hunt writing about his good friend, Alistair Tauriki Campbell, who died in 2009. There's some perla lines in there about a mate dying. What matters and always will is loading the fire high with logs. There's just lovely bits of writing and nice, nicely understated um, backing from Dave. Winter means one side or other of the shortest day. Our birthdays both throw in that good side friend of solstice. Winter is a warm half, rainbows and a promise of snow. Days go so fast, so slow. It matters not, a good mate dies, another goes abroad or mad. It matters neither way. What does, what always will is if we load the fire high with logs. She's a winter this Bull seals barking in the bay. If she don't snow soon, I tell you, friend, she's never going to. Sixteen, just left school. I dumped my books and hiked 400 miles south. Hitched up where I liked. Barbaric coast, barbaric winds. Madder than I knew could blow. What better making a friend a promise of snow? A mad wind has risen, the bull seals bark at the moon. I have a knee-high son, you a grandchild soon. A chance to wish you cheers, with many good miles to go. Here's rainbows, whiskey, tears, a promise of snow. Sam Hunt and David Kilgour. Getting together David Kilgour of Kilgour, Kilgour and Kilgour, the Clean Brothers, and Great Unwashed and many, many more. Yeah, nicely done. Sam Hunt. Uh, We'll take a break, come back with more lovely things of the spoken word genre in rock. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. The spoken word genre. This is our second lash at it because I couldn't countenance leaving out so many absolutely stunning things. One that kind of spooks me in its bravery, Grant. What's that? When Andy Warhol died, Lou Reed and John Cale got together for the first time since they were throwing knives at each other in New York. They did a dedication. Tragedy will do that to people, won't it? Yeah. Brings them back together. They did an album completely dedicated to the memory of Andy Warhol uh, because he was so influential to them. They loved the man. Yeah. And I think they felt guilty that they hadn't really kept in touch as much as they should have. Yep. The album's called Songs for Drella. 
Dracula is a combination of Dracula and Cinderella, which became Andy Warhol's nickname because that's who he thought he was. <laughs> yeah. There are lots of neat songs on it, but one that just makes my hair stand on end. John Cale does a very, very brave thing. I thought that this was a reading actually of Andy Warhol's diary because it sounds like it is, but it's not. John Cale wrote the words. Lou Reed did the music, and what John Cale does is imagine that he is Andy Warhol and he doesn't hold back. What you will hear here is John Cale having Andy Warhol say, Lou Reed, God, I hate Lou. Why didn't he invite me to his wedding? Why didn't John Cale go with that cover that I suggested? They include criticisms of themselves. Yep. And I think that's a really brave tack to take. An interesting way to express guilt and things yourself as well. Yes. Things that you think would have upset your friend who since died. Yeah. It's called The Dream. Seeing John made me think of the Velvets. I'd been thinking about them when I was on St. Mark's Place, going to that new gallery those sweet new kids have opened. But they thought I was old. And then I saw the old Dom, the old club where we did our first shows. It was so great. I didn't understand about that Velvet's first album. I mean, I did the cover. I was the producer. And I always see it repackaged, and I've never gotten a penny from it. How could that be? I should call Henry. But it was good seeing John. I did a cover for him. But I did it in black and white, and he changed it to color. It would have been worth more if he left it my way, but you can never tell anybody anything I've learned then. I tried calling again to Billy and John... They wouldn't recognize me. It was like I wasn't there. Why won't they let me in? And then I saw Lou. I'm so mad at him. Lou Reed got married and didn't invite me. I mean, is it because he thought I'd bring too many people? I don't get it. Could have at least called. I mean, he's doing so great. Why doesn't he call me? I saw him at the MTV show. He was one row away. You know, I hate Lou. I really do. He wouldn't even hire us for his videos. And I was so proud of him. I was so scared today. There's blood leaking through my shirt from those old scars from being shot. And the corset I wear to keep my insides in was hurting. I did three sets of 15 push-ups and four sets of 10 sit-ups. And then my insides hurt and I saw drops of blood in my shirt. And I remember the doctors saying I was dead. And then later they had to take blood out of my hand because they ran out of veins. But then all this thinking is making me an old grouch and you can't do anything anyway, so they wouldn't let me play with them in my own dream. I was just going to have to make up another, and another, and another. Gee, wouldn't it just be so funny if I died in this dream before I could make another one up? And nobody called. 
nobody came. That's a segment, in any case, of the dream. You can see and hear the whole thing on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. It's a brave work of art, I think, from John Cale taking that position. King Missile. Yes, recently here, yeah. touring around. Went and saw him, and it was just delightful. I'm, I'm quite intrigued by the guy. Yeah, me too. He uh, makes beautiful observations about uh, little short stories, little slices of life, aren't they? Yeah. And yeah. often including those that are anti-authoritarian. And I think Gary and Melissa is a good example. There are, of course, hundreds of these. Some are so funny and poignant. This is Gary and Melissa. It's self-explanatory. Gary and Melissa love to make love, love to make love, love to make love to each other over and over and over again. For the first few weeks of their relationship, they made love four or five times a night. They were really turned on for a while. Then to heighten their passion, they bought sex books. The Joy of Sex, The Sensuous Couple, The Joy of Sex Part Two, The Kama Sutra, even yet still more Joy of Sex, Popular Mechanics, Betty Crocker, anything. They tried as many positions as they were capable of, physically, physically, physically. They were really turned on for a while. Then, to heighten their passion, they bought sex toys, Benoit balls, French ticklers, nipple clamps, cock rings, whips and chains and bondage gear, bowling balls, dildos, vibrators, watermelons, commemorative statuettes of liberty, anything. They were really turned on for a while. They set up a video camera and taped themselves having sex. Then they watched it on the VCR while having more sex. Then, to heighten their passion, Gary taped Melissa having sex with some of his friends, and Melissa taped Gary having sex with some of her friends. Then they watched it on the VCR while having more sex. They were really turned on. As the years went by, Gary and Melissa became fine, upstanding members of their community. Although they never married, their relationship outlasted all the marriages on their block, and they never fought except to heighten their passion. They had made an agreement that when one of them died, the other would continue to live with and make love to the corpse. But as luck would have it, they were both killed in a freak accident and died at the exact same moment, holding hands. He's a qualified lawyer too, eh? Is he? Yeah. All right. <laughs> He's an interesting cat. Righto, that's King Missile and Gary and Melissa. Lots and lots of albums out there if you like his stuff. I would like to highly recommend one from The Residence. Okay. I'll just play a little bit of it to give you the idea, but it's their dedication to Hank Williams and his glorious tune, Corlijah, and from the album Stars and Hank Forever. Their version of the Hank Williams thing is just a completely different animal, but the story remains the same and it sounds spookier. Poor old Galatia, they never got a kiss. Poor old Galatia, they don't know what it means. Is it any wonder that his face is red? Galatia, that poor old wooden head.
segment anyway from the residents version of Hank Williams Core Liger. Uh, this is part two of our celebration of the spoken word genre in rock. We'll be back with a very challenging piece. I don't think we're going to play it because it will shock you too much. <laughs> it's on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. It's by Jackie Levin and it's called So My Soul Can Sing. We'll tell you about it when we come back. In to the Weekend Variety Wireless. The spoken word genre. Grant, just put the head of the break. I mentioned Jackie Levin's So My Soul Can Sing. It's such a powerful thing. It spits invective and four-letter words. But I get it. He's just so brokenhearted that nothing in the world matters except his girl. Yep, it is. It's it's a, a powerful... <laughs> powerful piece of work but the first time you hear it you go oh my god yeah you know it feels like a man crossing some sort of line but yeah. that's precisely what it's about of course yeah it really is powerful and a work of freaking art so the thing is we would not dare play it and bleep it that would be like putting underpants on the statue of david we are going to leave it out because i know someone will just tune in it'll be one of the most shocking things they've heard yes and if you were to beep it, you'd give yourself RSI yeah. with the little beepy device. Yeah, know, so. but it's it's not it's not gratuitous. No. Go to the Weekend Variety Wireless. It's called So My Soul Can Sing by Jackie Levin. Well, Who's also uh, worth checking out for other things he's done too. If you oh, want to yeah. then move on to YouTube, you'll find acres of intriguing bits that he's been involved in. Yeah. We can't forget the fall. We can't. But what song? That's the question. There's so many to choose from. Well, the thing is, if you like The Fall, you should know about the annotated fall where you can pick any of the songs. They're listed in alphabetical order and there is an entire scholarship behind what the words mean. Yes. And it is so enlightening to find out exactly what he is saying in these pieces. Uh, (laughs) My estimation of the man whom I already love very, very much has just gone up and up. I think he's marvellous. So go to the annotated fall. I mean, besides that, there are numerous books about the guy, including one called The Fallen, which is just written from the perspective of all the people he booted out of the band, <laughs> which is quite comical, like people getting left on tours when they've got off the bus to go for a pee at the side of the road and he's made the driver drive off and he's left them in the forest in Scandinavia or something because he's overworking with them. Yeah. There are tales galore. <laughs> okay, yeah. let's just play. It doesn't matter. Leave the Capitol from Slates is good enough, huh? Yep, I reckon so. How much, of an EP, that one. How much does a northerner hate London?
Righty ho. Um, in the time that we have left, I'd love to give you a bit of an idea on a piece of majesty. Winton Marsalis, the album's called The Majesty of the Blues. You will not find the spoken word version, as far as I can see, on YouTube or anything. You may have to go to iTunes or something and purchase the product. Winton Marsalis, The Majesty of the Blues. Side two is the musical recreation of a funeral march. They are burying jazz as a music form. Jazz is in the coffin, and there's a sermon read by Barack Obama's former minister, Jeremiah Wright, and written by black civil rights leader Stanley Crouch, who actually said that Barack Obama wasn't black enough or didn't have a slave history. It's so beautifully written, and it's so neat to hear something like this done about a piece of music that jazz is being buried and, and it extols its virtues and then goes on to talk about premature autopsies. Yeah. It's also worth looking around on YouTube if you're interested in the tune as the actual melody and so on is, is a thing called New, the New Orleans Function. And that's got a long history that's just got a you know YouTube page associated with just that. Like Louis Armstrong played it repeatedly. Lewis. Lewis, yes. is it indeed. Yeah. Um, and WC Handy, various people wrote chunks of it, and that's a marvellous thing to go and have a listen to as well. Yeah. It's a noble piece of music that's had uh, incarnations over time. Yeah. Righto. Hey, this has been fun. We'll go out with this. Uh, Winton Marsalis, Majesty of the Blues. It'll give you an idea. Um, the whole story is amazing, but uh, this will give you an idea up into the news. And if you like this sort of thing, go find it. Winton Marsalis, Majesty of the Blues from 1989. And just as a little bit of a skite, I saw its debut in New Orleans when he played it live for the first time. Man, it was good. I am here to tell you that there are some who do not accept the premature autopsy of a noble art form. There are some of us out here who are on a quest, and in the process of that quest who find ourselves having to perform conquests. There are some of us out here who believe that the majesty of human life demands an accurate rendition in rhythm and tune. Duke performed with Sidney Bechet, with Louis Armstrong, with Holman Hawkins, with Charlie Parker, with John Coltrane, and wrote music for almost all of them. His own orchestra was described by Mahalia Jackson as a sacred institution. The Duke Ellington Orchestra was the manifestation of the elaborately fabricated drum that Duke called this music. He was dedicated without reservation. He knew that you have to listen to a noble sound. You see, you have to watch out for a tradition built on the intention of putting noble inclinations into rhythm and tune. You have to beware of premature autopsies. A noble sound might not lie still in the dark cave where the dragons have taken it. A noble sound might just rise up and push away the stones that were placed in its path. A noble sound might just rise up on the high side of the sky. It might just ring the silver bells of musical light that tear through the cloak of the dragon's shadow which blocked the sun. You got to watch those early autopsies. A noble sound is a mighty thing. It can mess around and end up swinging low and swinging high and 
flapping its wings in a rhythm that might swoop up over the limitations imposed by the dreams of dragons. I said you better check those autopsies. A noble sound, the birthright understood so clearly by Duke Ellington, just might swing low and it might tell you to get on board. It might move with so much grace and so much confidence that you will have to remember what I've been telling you. You had better not pay much attention to those premature autopsies. This noble sound, this thing of beauty, this art so battered but so ready for battle, it just might lift you high enough in the understanding of human life to let you know in no uncertain terms why that marvelous Washingtonian Edward Kennedy Ellington never, never came off the road.